Hi, this is Jim Montague, Executive Editor of Control Magazine and ControlGlobal.com, and this is the latest in our Control Amplified podcast series. In these recordings, we talk with expert sources about process control and automation topics and try to go beyond our print and online coverage to explore some of the underlying issues impacting users, system integrators, suppliers, and other people and organizations in these industries. For our podcast, we're talking to John Cusimano, Vice President of Industrial Cybersecurity at AE Solutions. Uh, that's www.cyberpha.com. And AE Solutions is a consulting, engineering, and CSIA member system integrator in Greenville, South Carolina. John has been a perennial source for Control Magazine on cybersecurity, including our 12 Days of Cybersecurity mini-series this past December. Well, John, uh, sorry for the usual preamble, and uh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Jim. Happy to be here. Okay. Uh, first of all, you know, since cybersecurity threats and solutions are evolving so rapidly, uh, you know, what's been happening in the past few months? Well, in many ways, you could say it's more of the same in that we continue to see threats, vulnerabilities, and impacts or consequences, or I guess you could say incidents, that are all following along the same lines as we have been seeing for the last couple of years, but just more and more frequent. So if I took those independently, so for example, new threats we're seeing most of them are in the malware category, and most of those are in the ransomware category. So new ransomware like RYUK, Doppelpamer, LockerGoga, Maze, Snake, lots of, lots of interesting names that are generally all focused on some form of ransomware encrypting files on computers. But those threats, many of them have been directed at industrial facilities, and I'm going to talk about some of those incidents in a moment. The vulnerability side of things, so how do those threats exploit these systems? It's usually through some known vulnerabilities. In the recent past, it's been related to the Eternal Blue vulnerability uh, with SMB v1 that was the, uh, the the cause of, of and now infamous ransomware like WannaCry and NotPetya. More recently we're seeing them based on some different vulnerabilities like vulnerabilities one called Bluekeep RDP vulnerabilities and then uh, Microsoft has announced vulnerabilities in SMB version 3. So it was it was SMB version one that was kind of the culprit for the WannaCry and not Petya related ransomware. So we can expect that uh, now that Microsoft has announced that there's vulnerabilities in SMB three, and as I currently don't think there is a patch for that yet, that uh, we will see attackers take advantage of those. So what that means is there have been incidents, and, uh, and that's really what matters. Uh, you know, there can be threats, there can be vulnerabilities, but it's where those come together to, to cause an incident. So some of the bigger incidents in recent times, a UK-owned company called Evraz has been the, the victim of ransomware. They have operations in 
Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Italy, Czech Republic, and also here in the U.S. and Canada. Their operations were paralyzed across Canada and U.S. Most of their manufacturing operations shut down. And this one was blamed on the uh, RYUK ransomware. Okay. Well, I was just going to add, when we, when we spoke last fall, you emphasized that the Triton Trisis safety system malware shook up users who previously thought their safety systems were secure. And, and I was just, you know, wanted to know now, you know, are they continuing to wake up and, you know, how have they been responding lately? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's been interesting to see the response to that. So fortunately, the world hasn't seen any variants or new safety system attacks, at least not that I'm aware of, and I follow this pretty closely. But the but asset owners have definitely been responding to the threat of the Triton Trisis or any subsequent variations of that. So where I've personally seen it is we've been asked to perform a lot more safety system cybersecurity assessments particularly around the requirements in 61511, or I should say IEC, 61511, which is the functional safety standard. So it's not a cybersecurity standard. It's a safety standard that was modified in 2016 to add requirements that any safety system must be evaluated for cybersecurity as well. And on top of that, we've seen companies that are actually have gone back to their internal safety system standards and add that requirement internally. So they're basically adopting these two new requirements in 61511 that came out in 2016, which just as a reminder, that actually predates when Trisis and Triton were discovered, which was late 2017. So the standards went into effect in 2016 saying you really should or must, shall, I think they're shall statements, you shall assess the security of your safety instrument systems. Late 2017, we actually saw a, a very compelling reason to do so. And I'd say in 2019 and, and, and ongoing, companies are adopting that and actually changing their internal standards and making it a required practice. I'm particularly seeing it for Greenfield when companies are putting in new safety systems or upgrading their safety systems, they're adding that as a requirement to the engineering team to perform cybersecurity assessments. Right. So, so folks are doing some of the things they maybe should have been doing all along, but it's very helpful that it seems that they're doing that. And then thinking about cybersecurity as part of a safety strategy is a very popular route to take for a lot of people because conceptually, you know, it makes it easier to approach, I guess, right? There's very compelling reasons to do so, right? So our, you know, some of the things we talked about earlier are like our key switches and other physical measures continuing to grow in popularity in addition to the software remedies. And how can users approach those physical measures, especially if they were initially assuming that, that cybersecurity just meant using software only? Right. So there's certain things we find when we do these security assessments of safety systems. There are certain risks that get uncovered. And we're not, just to be clear, when you do a security assessment of a safety instrumented system, I'm not just talking about the controller, not just the 
Triconics controller or Siemens controller. I'm talking about the entire safety instrumented system, which includes sensors, logic solvers, actuators, and all of the computers and networks around that. So that's what's in scope when you do this. And so the kind of things we find, typical high risks we're finding is in how companies are implementing safety bypasses and overrides and how they're integrating smart instrumentation. So safety bypasses and overrides, it's common that there are times, usually for maintenance reasons, that you may need to temporarily bypass a safety instrumented function or actually more appropriately, a single device. Like a, uh, if you're voting three pressure transmitters, two out of three, one of the pressure transmitters has some kind of an issue you want to go do work on it, you typically would put it into bypass and that would take it out of the vote. But it's in how companies are implementing these bypasses, what technology are they using, what access control is required, what authorization levels, can one person do it or does it require separation of duties where two different people have to participate in order to put the function into bypass? Because when you're bypassing a safety function, you are temporarily disabling that safety function or at least degrading it. So you need to do it carefully. It needs to be monitored and you need to make sure that you remove the bypasses when the work is done. That's a big area that we're finding risk in how that's implemented. Is it a button on the HMI that the operator can press? Does it require some elevated levels of privilege? Is there a key switch involved? Can one person do it or does it require two people? Can it be done all remotely or does somebody locally in the plant have to participate? And the solution to that usually is some combination of better access control, better monitoring, and many times some physical measures like key switches that are either in the field or in the control room that somebody that is in the plant is participating in either putting that safety function into bypass or or removing it. There's a lot of different solutions, but most of the time, the ways to reduce the risk are relatively inexpensive. They just require a little bit of engineering and many times some operational procedural changes. Right. So, so what you're talking about really is a lot of the good basic practices and hygiene that are logical and you know, should be well-known already, right? It should be, but oftentimes it's not till you take a, a look at the big picture and, and study that the safety system and, and the networks and computers around it that you're able to see where there are gaps or vulnerabilities in the design where people make a lot of assumptions about how things are supposed to operate, but they're not always seeing, until they do a study like this, they're not seeing oh, yeah, but a malicious person or a malicious user or malicious software might be able to, to do the same thing that my authorized user, that I want my authorized user to do. But they'll recognize that they may not have put the controls or countermeasures in place to prevent an unauthorized user from doing the same thing. Right. But, but the, the remedies are easily accessible once you have that overall view, I guess, right? They usually are, yeah. You can engineer a solution without necessarily spending a lot of money. Cool. Was there uh, any other underlying uh, 
you know, cybersecurity issues or remedies that have emerged or become more prominent recently? Well, I touched on instrumentation a moment ago, and that's another area that needs to be studied a little more carefully. So smart instrumentation is great. Heart, foundation, field bus, uh, digital instrumentation. But how you integrate that into either your basic process control or your safety systems can have unwanted cyber exposure or vulnerabilities. A good example is smart transmitters or smart valve positioners that are part of, could be either a basic control or a safety function, but uh, let's take safety function to stay on that same theme. So say you've installed a um, some smart, uh, I'll, stick, I'll stick with pressure transmitters, so smart pressure transmitters in a safety function, and they can be connected to an asset management system for maintenance purposes, for instrumentation techs to be able to maintain those those instruments, and they can do so remotely. What can often be overlooked is the fact that that instrument is part of a safety function, and there are certain parameters that if they are changed, like, for example, the range on the transmitter, if those parameters are changed, it will change the safety function. So you don't want those inadvertently changed. And if the instrumentation can talk to an asset management server that is usually sitting up at level two or three in the control system hierarchy, Purdue model, that you could actually be implementing change at level zero in your safety strategy from a device at level three with many times no additional controls or barriers other than than access to that asset management server. So that needs to be looked at. And there, again, there are remedies to that. Simple things like most instrumentation products do have an integral key switch, or actually usually a dip switch, that you can put it in so it's in write protect mode. So you cannot change critical parameters remotely. That's one solution. Other solutions might be to put those instruments in a separate group with additional access controls and really or even a, even a separate uh, asset management uh, client for those devices. Again, you can engineer solutions. They're not typically all that costly. You just have to recognize the risk in the design and make some appropriate changes. And, and safety systems have always merited and required in a, an additional level of awareness you know, beyond the regular control. So th- this a lot of this should be familiar to, or at least approachable by folks pursuing cybersecurity as well, correct? Yeah, that's correct. It's an interesting situation because in many cases, it's the technology that's enabled us to do some some really great things, but it is is introduced vulnerabilities that weren't obvious to the people that, that installed them. Um, you know, remote access is another good, we didn't go there, but remote access is another another technology now that's readily available. There's lots of ways that you can implement remote access. And again, you have to make sure that when you're introducing remote access to your control systems, that you're doing it in a secure manner and that you should go and even an extra step on your safety systems. And many companies just say there is no remote access to safety systems. Others do it, but they want to have at least one additional layer 
of protection, if not more. Then, you know, getting more a little bit into the human element side, you know, how can control engineers and other operations technology personnel or OT personnel understand IT's security priorities and policies? And then how can IT appreciate process operations and safety priorities? And also, how can they learn to work together on cybersecurity? Is it just better leadership by senior management or what's needed? Yep. It's an ongoing challenge that industry faces. And and the interesting thing that I found is that industrial cybersecurity is the thing that is forcing IT and OT to to work together because it's, it's a problem that neither group independently can solve. They need to work together. You need you need to have people that understand IT and networks and servers and domains and remote access technology and so on, network segmentation. And then you need operations, automation and operations personnel that can correctly apply those technologies in a way that, that is still appropriate for operations. In other words, you you can't just turn over all of that to IT because uh, IT personnel typically don't understand operational constraints in the operations environment. But the automation people don't have the skills many times to implement. So it's a forcing function. These groups need to work together. And we're seeing more and more a breakdown of those barriers. The three things that come to mind for me in terms of how to bring these disciplines together, training is one. And there's lots of training out there uh, focused on ICS cybersecurity. Most of that training is designed for either teaching IT people about OT and how to secure OT or teaching OT people about IT and IT security concepts. The second one is to just get people working together and collaborating on projects, get IT involved early. That's the biggest mistake I've seen companies make is that moving along on a on a big uh, automation system upgrade or putting in a new greenfield system and at the 11th hour somebody says hey we should probably secure this so the right thing of course is to do is to get uh cybersecurity people involved early in the project and and throughout the project to make sure it gets designed in well, bolt-on is nowhere as good as, as baked in, I, I think everybody's saying, right? Right. Build security in is a motto out there that people say. And my last, my third point on getting people to work together that I've found to be very effective is, is these uh, cybersecurity risk assessment exercises. Uh, we call it Cyber PHA at A-Solutions. They are designed to be cross-functional in nature because no one person in one discipline can really understand how the system's constructed, how it operates, where the vulnerabilities are, uh, what the impacts could be if the system was compromised, and therefore, what are the risks. When we do a cyber PHA, it is a team effort. It's cross-functional in nature. We facilitate and guide the process, but it's all around getting those disciplines together in the same, usually in the same room. And coronavirus times, it's probably going to be remote, and that, that works as well. But getting the people all talking about uh, about the same thing, about and typically we, we look at it zone by zones. We talk about what are the threats, what are the vulnerabilities, what are the consequences, and you need everybody's perspective on that to get a, a realistic answer and to get buy-in on what things need to change 
to achieve tolerable risk. Yeah, and, and also on the teaching front, uh, we, you know, I know we talked earlier about AE Solutions recently partnering with the SANS Institute to offer the one-day class uh, ICS Cybersecurity for Managers, which is based on applying the NIST cybersecurity framework and the ISA slash IEC 62443 standard. So, so how's that effort going lately? And then how has the focus or curriculum, you know, been updated at all recently? Going really well. So we just ran the, uh, the course for a second time on March 4th at the, uh, SANS ICS Summit in Orlando, just in time before uh, all flights were grounded. The class was full, except for a few that just couldn't make it due to their company's travel restrictions at the time. But we uh, we got great reviews from the students, and we did make some improvements from the, the, the inaugural class was in October of last year in Houston, and then this uh, the second one was in March, and SANS is has decided to uh, run the course again at their fall summit in uh, Houston. And we are actively working on making that course available online uh, very soon. There we go. (laughs) Netflix and YouTube. You you can imagine what what one of the drivers is. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Well, any, any avenue is a good one as long as it can get across. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that it's a, succeeding well and and yes online and uh netflix and whatever would be a a fine especially maybe that people have some extra you know time on their hands perhaps to update and and that always and and during you know the recessions or or there's not as much business people do have time to you know retool and relearn and and this could be a good opportunity for that that's right that's absolutely right Okay, well, John, listen, that was a, a fine update on cybersecurity. A, a few weeks or months had gone by, and I was like, man, I wonder what's happening. So now I know, and, and, and thanks for the update today. Oh, great. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Jim, for having me and for hosting the podcast. Terrific. Okay, this has been, uh, as we always say, another Control Amplified podcast. I'm Jim Montague. Thanks for listening, and uh, please remember that Control Amplified podcasts are available on most podcasting apps such as the iTunes Store and Google Play, and, of course, always at Control Magazine's YouTube channel. Plus, you can just listen at controlglobal.com at any point. And thanks again for listening, everybody. <laughs>